0: We wanna proactively call the client with innovative ideas that are gonna help them achieve a result.
1: Hello, this is Sue Freck, and I'm your host of the Happy Marketer Connection podcast, brought to you by Vesta. Each week, along with my guests, other fellow passionate marketers, we will explore engaging and inventive marketing strategies and toast brands making impactful consumer connections. Please kick back, relax, and join our happy half hour of marketing inspiration and positivity, and come away a happier and smarter marketer. This week's theme is passion, patience, and persistence all words we use with regards to building and growing a business. At the end of the day, no matter what your role is, you must have passion. I always tell my children, you know, I really don't care what work you end up doing, but you really must enjoy it. And if you are passionate, you will be successful. This is why so many marketers are successful. They push through the long days, the ups and downs of the job. It's because they're passionate about what they do. This week's guest selected the theme, and after hearing the episode, you'll know why. Julie Levy and I met an organization called Women Presidents Organization about six years ago and immediately had a connection. We have very similar methodologies when it comes to hiring, building, and growing a sales organization. She is one of those leaders who lights up a room. She launched her company more than 15 years ago and has worked with some incredible clients like Kraft and American Express. She's also felt the ups and downs, particularly in the middle of a pandemic, of being a CEO and running your own business while raising two children. Today, we're going to hear from Julie about the sales and business development process and how having passion, patience, and persistence are all critical if you're going to win in business. This is the episode for anyone who's thinking about starting their own business or is running their own company or needs to grow their revenue. Welcome, Julie. Well, thank you. And welcome back to another episode of the Happy Marketer Connection. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for being on the show. Sue, it is a great honor to be here. Thank you for having me. And I love when I have a guest that's also a friend, people can always tell because there's lots of laughs and smiles and Julie is one of those people. So Julie, icebreaker, when did you realize you would be good in sales?
0: Well, that's a great question and it started back in 1978. (laughs) Don't date us. There was a gas crisis for those listening who remember the gas crisis in the 1970s. And if you'll recall, you had to go wait online for gas. And on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays was the odd number license plates. And Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays was the even numbers. And I had an idea and I went outside early, early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. My dad drove me out to the gas stations and I filled up a grocery cart with Orange juice, the New York Times, donuts, cookies, and a thermos of coffee. And with my little thermostat, I made a big giant sign that said, have you had your breakfast today? And people had to get up at three, four, five o'clock in the morning, so nobody had their breakfast. And I went from cart to cart with my apron and my big sign, and I sold coffee, donuts, and juice in the New York Times to the people waiting online. And that is when I... Fairly sure I recognized when I was about nine or ten years old, uh, a little bit older, that I was ready for sales.
1: That's amazing. There's always those stories. You know, when I was in middle school, I sold splatter paint t-shirts. So it was like really (laughs) in style. And then I would make these gift boxes of it. And again, it was just you saw a need. And you're like, I can actually make money off of this. I love it. I love it. Okay, so our theme this week is passion, patience, and persistence. Before we jump into the theme, because I do want to talk about that, can you talk a little bit about Progressive Promotions, your company, how you got started, some background for us?
0: Sure. So Progressive Promotions is a 30-plus-year-old promotional merchandise agency. We're a global company in that we serve some of the largest companies from all over the world. Our clients include American Express, Avis Budget Group, Robert Half, and dozens of other large, wonderful companies. And what we provide is promotional merchandise, corporate apparel, awards, and promotional ideas that help our clients increase their bottom line. So sometimes their bottom line is profits, Sometimes their bottom line is people. They want to improve engagement. And sometimes their bottom line is just general morale. And what Progressive Promotions does through promotional merchandise is all three helps them increase their marketing objectives.
1: I love that. I love that. And and a global business. And you are running a global business in the middle of a pandemic, but we will get to that as well. So talk to me about the theme, passion, patience, persistence. What does this mean? What, you know, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Sure. So before I go to passion, patience, and persistence, I just want to tell you how this company got started. Okay, great. Reason I want to start there because that leads into the theme of the day. So when I was in college, I went to Douglas college, the women's college at Rutgers university. Mm -hmm. And I went to the bookstore at the Douglas college bookstore, and I went to go buy some t-shirts. We didn't call it swag back then, but I went to buy some t-shirts and the merchandise that they had in the store was very backwards, it wasn't fashion-forward, it wasn't unique, it wasn't interesting. But when you went across the Raritan River to the Rutgers College bookstore, they had the best merchandise. They had boxer shorts and cool T-shirts and tank tops and everything you'd want. So I said to myself, hmm, there's something wrong. Again, something was missing in the marketplace. So I called a friend of mine who was a designer and I found T-shirts that I bought from Hanes, the t-shirt undershirt company, and together I created a line of Douglas College t-shirts and of shorts and started selling them door-to-door in the dormitories. So I was doing my thing and I was basically selling them for five dollars each back then, and this was back in the 1980s, maybe 1986. So one day I got a phone call from the Douglas College bookstore manager And she says to me, and there were phones in the dormitory rooms at the time. And I picked up the phone, a regular phone. And she said to me, Julie, I understand you're selling Douglas College merchandise on campus. And I said to myself, I had a moment in time to say, why? (laughs) Yes. But keep in mind, this was before college licensing. So what I was doing was not illegal. Today, I would be locked up. But back then it was legal. So I said, yes, in fact, I am selling merchandise. She says, oh, I hear wonderful things about it. Can you come show me your line? So I packed up my backpack. I ran across the campus. And I showed her my line of T-shirts and boxer shorts. And she decided she liked the merchandise. And she placed a very, very big order for three dozen (laughs) T-shirts. And I... I had just won the lottery. It right. was the biggest order of my
1: life. But but and think about it. You're in college. I mean, most college students are are not being entrepreneurial. You know, they get a job at, at the okay, now I'll date myself blockbuster. But, you know, that was what we did and and they certainly weren't being, certainly weren't being entrepreneurial. So again, that's definitely ingrained in you. So okay. So fast forward to the passion patience and persistence and how this all ties together. Um, So what happens now? You have this one order, you you build a business out of it. What happens next?
0: Well, that's a great question. What I did next was I thought I might pursue the college market. So I started knocking on doors for Barnes & Noble and the largest college bookstore providers in the country. And I kept getting the door slammed in my face. Everybody said, no, we have suppliers. You're a one woman shop working out of your parents' house in Tenafly, New Jersey. I have no staff. I have no infrastructure. I have nothing. But I did have persistence and I kept knocking on doors, knocking on doors. And I heard no a lot of times. And then I said, hmm, maybe bookstores, college bookstore market is not the way to go. And then I started calling on corporations. But before I went to the corporations, I went to Hoboken and I started knocking on doors in Hoboken, New Jersey, to bars and restaurants and started to provide T shirts to the restaurants. So I went to the Clan Broth House and I went to the East LA Cafe. And then one day I was selling t shirts and people were buying them. Somebody said to me, Oh, can you provide aprons with our logo on it? And I said, Sure, why not? And then another day someone said, Oh, can you provide cappuccino mugs with our logo on it? And I didn't even know what a cappuccino mug was. But I said, Sure, I'd be happy to. So fast forward, we went from apparel to promotional merchandise like cups and aprons. And then I started to cold call corporations. And that's when things began to change. And I called people who I knew, and I got a phone call. I knew someone who worked at Ogilvy. I called him and he called me and he said, we're looking to build the Ogilvy, David Ogilvy shop. And my first corporate client was to create the David Ogilvy shop and provide a whole line of cups and key fobs and t-shirts and sweatshirts and jackets, all with the David Ogilvie theme. And I launched the shop there. And then from there, I got the American Express client for a project. I went from there and that's how the company began.
1: Amazing. Was it always progressive promotions? Like when did you actually determine I need to like actually incorporate and make this a business?
0: In the beginning, it was called T-shirt Express. Mm -hmm. And then, once we started selling things other than T-shirts, I changed it to Progressive Promotions to sort of be a bigger umbrella of the things that we provide
1: which is so smart. And you think about, you know, even listeners, when you think about what your name is and, you know, we just recently rebranded from social media link, which is what we were when we launched 10 years ago and now we're Vesta today, but you do need to think about a name that it could be limiting such, such as that. And it's, it's so great that you were able to expand through need. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest um, things that entrepreneurs entrepreneurs have is uncovering that need.
0: Right. And then once you have sort of an American Express and an Ogilvy to sort of brag about, you then have some creds. So after that, we picked up the craft account and we service craft. I know you worked there in the beginning of your career and it was, is, it was a wonderful company and we did countless programs for mac and cheese and a one steak sauce and international coffee at the time. And they were our client for 14 years. But when we talk about persistence, one day after 14 years, we lost the contract. And they represented millions to us, which was very significant at the time. It still would be today. And when we lost the contract, we lost it because Kraft and Heinz were merging and they were looking to get rid of their current suppliers and go with the Heinz suppliers. So for months and months after we lost the contract, I kept in touch with my clients there, even though we lost the contract. And this is where you have to really be patient and persistent and you must have a true passion for what you like to do because i'm in love with the notion of promotional merchandise and i believe so strongly in it i would monthly reach out to the people at craft and say hey here's another neat idea hey have you considered this hey what about that and it may have been probably over 12 or 18 months and then one day i get a phone call from one of my former clients at jello brand and they said they have a challenge And they were hoping that I could help them solve it. They wanted to increase shelf space at Jell-O and they wanted to take it not only in the food departments, but they wanted to put it into the toy departments. So They were creating an amazing line called Jell-O play. And they wanted to know if I can help them with the premiums that were involved in the Jell-O play. And we created a line of Jell-O cutters.
1: I remember those
0: similar so we to a cookie cutter, and you would make different shapes. And there was all kinds of themes. There was the jungle theme and the construction theme. And then we partnered with Disney and created some Frozen 2 theme. And it was very, very exciting. But the point is, is that if the client knows you care about them and you're passionate about what you do and you stay connected with them, one day they'll call you to help solve the problem. That was an amazing program that we worked on with them.
1: That's awesome. That is such a, such a great story and experience and reminder for all of us. Um, I had heard one time that it says, you know, most sales or business development people stop after seven tries, which is a lot. Yeah, I, I know people that stop after two, but think about how many, if you hadn't continued on past seven, ten, over 18 months, you may not have actually won that business back. So that's, that's another really, really good lesson and reminder. So talk to me, Julie, about, you know, you've been very successful with your team and building sales teams. You've helped other people, helped companies like myself. Talk about how important is it to have a sales process and really what's that methodology around your sales process?
0: We have a sales process, which is a 10-step process, which is 10 contacts to go from contact to contract. And for larger corporations, the sales cycle can be 12 to 18 months. For smaller clients, it could be one to two months. It doesn't have to be that long, but the process is the same where we want to reach out to clients or prospects in a meaningful way and add value to the conversation. We never want to call a prospect and say, what are you working on? How can I help you? That doesn't work. We want to proactively call the client with innovative ideas that are going to help them achieve a result. Now, if it's going to be 10 Contacts, they can't be the same and they can't be boring. So it could start with a phone call, an interesting, exciting phone call about a new project or program you're working on. Then it could go to an email. And then how about a white paper to sound really smart or an interesting article of interest or using your Google alerts to find out something interesting about them or looking them up on LinkedIn and finding out they just got an award and sending them a congratulatory award since we're in their award business. We also utilize self-promos that say progressive promotions on them, and we send those out all the time because we want to practice what we preach. And if we believe that promotional products are sustainable vehicles that help the message to remain behind, then we want to use that in our sales process as well.
1: I love that. It's such good advice. And we're all so busy. I you know, have people prospecting to me and same with you and I'm out doing prospecting every day. And it is about that value. You can cut through the noise if you're sharing something that's important to them or something that would be noteworthy or interesting. So thank you for that recommendation. So business development and everything that you've done over the years has changed. What have you really seen as the biggest change? You know, I know there's things like LinkedIn and there's technology, and but just talk about, you know, the tools you use or what's really changed for your business from a business development standpoint.
0: The biggest things that have changed over the years uh, are the face-to-face that we used to have. So when I had American Express as a client in the beginning years, and they're still a happy client today, I used to go there once every two weeks and roam the halls. At Halloween time, I'd get dressed up in costume and give out candy. At Easter time, I'd get dressed up and give out little uh, jelly beans in different colors. And I developed a lot of very strong personal relationships by roaming the halls. Well, then after 9 11, there was no more roaming the halls. You couldn't even get upstairs to the floor where you had the appointments. So you had to change and evolve the way you did business. So then it became of course more phone calls and more uh, emails. And then of course, things changed with LinkedIn because now you had within a few minutes, I could look you up on LinkedIn and I could see that you went to Delaware and I could see that you went to craft, and I can learn everything about you in a few minutes. Whereas those were things that you used to develop by going out for coffee or having a drink with somebody. So you develop more personal insight for the person on LinkedIn and then keep in mind, years ago
1: we had like a rolodex oh my gosh i'd binders i'd binders i'd go into you know my new job with seven binders of business cards
0: and that was the next thing i was going to say and you had binders of hundreds of business (laughs) cards categorized by industry or categorized by something and that's how you kept track of people but now with sophisticated crm systems You have all your contacts in one place. You can easily track not only your own organization, but your your team's follow-up and your team's sales and your team's contacts, and it becomes much more seamless in terms of tracking contacts and reaching out to people. So the automation has helped, LinkedIn has helped, and then also we use a lot of Google Alerts. So all of our clients are pre-entered into Google Alerts. So if somebody's having an event, You could find out about it beforehand and call them in advance and try to sell them some promotional merchandise. Or if someone has a merger with another company and they need employee engagement gifts to get the two companies to work better, or my biggest and my favorite you can imagine is when they're rebranding because then they need new everything. And that's to us, that's like the ultimate time where they need promotional merchandise through things like Google Alerts and technology. You can really get insights into the company. I laugh because years ago, I used to go to the library, (laughs) yep, research a company and Mm -hmm. look up old,
1: I know where reports. I was just going to say, financial reports, that's where I went and looked (laughs) at.
0: And by the time the report was published, it was already obsolete. (laughs) It's crazy. But it gave you the insight you needed to be able to support them and help them. And it's very important when you're doing a program for a client that you really understand very deeply who they are and what they do.
1: Yeah. And I talk about that all the time, especially with our team, even just the value that you bring. If, if you're trying to sell them something, what is in it for them? Always, always, always. So, you know, obviously you have, you know, I love to sell. I'm so passionate about what I do. Those are skills you were born with. Do you think that it is just an innate sales skill, you know, or can it be taught?
0: Well, a little opinionated about this. <laughs> I think it is very difficult to teach Selling in the true sense of the word, hunting. I think people can be taught to manage clients, to support clients, to help clients, but real, true business development, hunting, bringing in new business is something that's very, very difficult to teach. And for us at Progressive Promotions recently, that's been a real challenge because historically our client relationship managers were servicing people, doing extremely well, and now we're asking them to go out and get new business because the promotional products business has fallen off so terribly. So it's a real challenge for us. Uh, I don't think you can actually teach it. I think it could try real hard. I think it could work really hard at it, but I do believe it's innate. And we also use things like craft and other tools to decide if they have what it takes to be a salesperson to some of those psychological testings that work. And they're always right. And when I don't believe them and I hire anyway, I'm always wrong. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So agree. Agree. And, you know, I think as you talk about client success or account management, you know, we're going through that transition too, where our client success teams are responsible for renewals. And I do think that you're wired differently from hunting. So servicing account and asking for money. I am never afraid to ask for money because I believe we do a incredible job. I think we're actually undercharging. I have clients listening now. No, but I'm not afraid to. So that is not a comfortable thing for many client success account management teams. Whereas a hunter salesperson is like, absolutely, because here are all the things I'm going to do for you and your business and grow your business. So I think that's also that challenge that sits there as well. So, you know, hiring is so, so difficult. How, you know, your advice, we've got people listening that are building their own companies, building their own businesses. They even have people on their teams, maybe not in sales or business development. But how do you know when it's time to cut somebody off? That is the hardest thing to do. Hard, most difficult for so many managers, certainly leaders is to terminate people. But what sort of process or advice can you give to others listening? When do you know it's time to cut it off? It's a
0: combination of things because everybody who you have on your team is already a great person. So you never want to let anybody go, but you have to do a few things. You have to support them and help them every step of the way and be sure that they're reaching out to you so you can help them make sure they're making their calls, make sure they're making their contacts, giving them ideas to generate new business. And if you're doing that, and the management is supporting them in every way they can, and they're still falling short of their numbers, you have to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You have to look at the numbers, you have to give them a chance to redeem themselves, you have to support them. And then after some time, if the numbers aren't where they're supposed to be, you have to sadly say it's time to go. But it should never be a surprise to an employee that they're not producing. You should always give them at least you know, 30, 60 days of opportunity to have, to yeah. improve
1: sales. And that tracking, I always say, you know, if you're if you're not tracking people performance, no matter what role, sales or other roles, they have to understand where they're at.
0: And you look at the pipeline. Mm-hmm. You can see if their pipeline is very full, we always say only 30% of that pipeline is going to come to fruition. So if you have a goal of hundred thousand dollars a month and you only have 30000 in the pipeline, you're never going to get there. If <laughs> you have a goal of 100000 a month, you have $300,000 in the pipeline, well, your chances of succeeding are huge.
1: Interested in building a home for your audience? Our Vesta solution powers online communities, giving your consumers a home for a world of engagement and connections. To learn more, visit us at Vesta-Go.com. So let's talk about the pandemic. Um, I've had a couple of people on about pivoting. We've all had to pivot, change our business, adjust either personally or obviously in, in our work lives. How has your business changed or how have you pivoted during this pandemic?
0: Well, progressive promotions had to do a lot of pivoting. <laughs> <laughs> it was the end of March and our sales dropped almost to zero. And it was really scary, and it was a difficult, difficult time for me to see 30 years of a great business about to go down the tubes. So the first thing I did was I reached out to my suppliers in China, those companies i have been working with for years and years and years, who used to make my tote bags and who used to make my coffee mugs and everything else. I reached out to them first, and I said, can you get me some masks? I need them, and I need them fast. And within a week, I was shipping out three-ply disposable masks. So first, the supply side, and then I called my existing clients. I called every single one of them and said, do you need masks? And then I started cold calling like it was 1988. I got on the phone and just went cold calling to food service companies. I cold call clients we hadn't heard from Mondelez, who was part of Craft, hadn't been a client in years. And as you know, they make Oreos. And they said, we ordered masks from somebody else. We haven't gotten them in yet. We will not be able to produce Oreos. We will have to shut down our factory if we don't get masks. And they ordered millions and we delivered them quickly and on time. And we got them out there. So to date, we probably shipped over 25 applied disposable masks. We called the City of New York, who we saw on TV was giving out free masks, and they ordered millions. So the first thing we did was pivoted to sell something else. The second thing we did is to see what else will our clients need. So then we started with the hand sanitizers. And the Avis Budget Group wanted to open their stores, and they had a campaign called Drive safely, right? It was Drive Safely campaign, and we created a line of hand sanitizers with their campaign logo on it. And every one of their two three hundred plus retail outlets where you rent your Avis car now has these fabulous hand sanitizers. We were also making the floor decals that say "Stay, and stay safe. And then our client, like American Express, wanted to thank their merchants. And help their merchants reopen, and they created something called a recovery kit. And in the recovery kit was window you clean decals that says we're open, but there was also hand sanitizers and hand sanitizer dispensers that say shop safely. And they were automated dispensers that were going up in places like nail salons and small businesses because American Express wants to support and help small businesses through their Shop Small campaign. So these are some of the things we had to do to pivot. And I don't think I've worked this hard in my entire life. (laughs) Four, seven, but we, but we did it. And now the goal is to take those relationships that we provided PPE for. We saved the day. We were called heroes. We were called champions. We got it out fast, low cost and on time. And now our goal is to take those new relationships for some of the newer clients and parlay them into promotional merchandise.
1: Right. Right. So smart.
0: So people like Key Bank was a new client. And now we're talking about promotional merchandise or clients, again, like Mondelez, who we hadn't done with a long time. Now we're talking about promotional
1: merchandise. That's amazing. That is you know, such a great story. I love these positive stories that have come out of such a crazy and insane, insane time of year. And it's just amazing how you were able to pivot. Let's talk about your woman led business. And I know I have lots of listeners that um, are either starting up their companies or thinking about their working in big corporations and thinking about making the leap to consulting. Talk a little bit about being a woman led business. The process, is it of value? Can you just help uh, give some advice?
0: Sure. So it's important to know that no company is going to do business with you because you're woman owned. Being certified through WeBank, the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, gives you a list of corporations who value doing business with women and minority-owned companies and who welcome your pitch. So what I mean by that is being a woman-owned company certified gives you an open door. It's like a little tiny toe in the door that you would not have had otherwise. That's what it does. That being said, you need to prove yourself and add value to that corporation more so than anybody else. Because the supplier diversity manager who's introducing you and getting you in the door, their job is at stake and you need to perform at a very high level. And if you don't think you can support large corporations for whatever reason, whether you don't have the financing or you don't have the staff or you don't have the bandwidth, don't start. this. Thousands and thousands of mid sized companies that will welcome you and love you and want you. So, doing business with large corporations takes longer. Our average sales cycle is 12 to 18 months. But the rewards are greater because the sale is greater and it's more complicated because they give you contracts under 50 pages long. But going back to your question about being women owned, we do have an opportunity to get into companies
1: that otherwise we would not have. Yeah, that's really good advice. And the certification is not easy. <laughs> that process is not easy and that's good, you know, and same with minority-owned businesses. It, it shouldn't be easy, um, but helping cut through the noise. When I think about all the outreach my team and other teams have to do to get in front of the right clients, at least you said, you know, it's a little bit of a step, stepping stone. Do you have any other organizations or, or places that you go to for help, advice, is, is even across the years? And I know we met through Women Presidents Organization, which I love.
0: And that's the first one I'm going to talk about. The Women's Presence Organization is a phenomenal global organization for women-owned companies and women-led companies. And what it does is it gives us an opportunity to share ideas, to share challenges, to share successes. And we meet once a month and we really do a deep dive into each other's businesses in non-competitive spaces. So that's the first place. And the second thing, when I was in my early 40s, I went back to the Harvard Business School and I had two little babies and it was a three-year program. And I used to go up to Harvard for three weeks at a time to a program called the Owner's President's Management Program. And this OPM program was phenomenal. And my particular cohort had a hundred people and it's for privately held companies that do revenues of 10 million or more from all over the world. So 65% were global, 35% U.S. And of the 100 companies, can you guess how many were
1: women? <laughs> how many? Five? Oh God, I was gonna say like 25, 30. That's hard.
0: Five of us. us. So on the weekends when all the wives from the U.S. companies were coming to visit, my husband would come up with the two little babies (laughs) they're like three (laughs) or five years old and he'd come up with the car seat and come up to Boston to visit me. And I'd let them go into the classroom and draw on the chalk. But that network of extraordinary people, and it's interesting because some of the companies were as large as $250 million, but the common thread with organizations like WPO or my OPM program at Harvard the common threat is the notion of humility that even though you have these big giant companies and even though you might be making a ton of money we don't know everything and that notion of not knowing everything and that notion of being humble just enriched the programs where we could just teach each other so many different things. And it was a really quiet experience. And many of those people are still my friends today. And during COVID, we started a WhatsApp group. And during COVID, we have Zoom calls every few weeks. And we're talking to each other around the world about what are you doing during this challenging time.
1: Yeah, it's so nice to have that connection and that resource uh, for people. And again, that's how you and I got connected and, of course, became friends as well. So we're coming towards the end. I always like, you know, it's happy marketer connection. I always like to end on a positive story. Julie, I'm sure you have lots of them. But um, is there a story that you can share, whether career, family, you know, you have an incredible family. I love I love your children. (laughs) Um, And I just would love for you to share a positive story with the audience. I have many positive stories.
0: I, <laughs> I am a positive person. And like you, Sue, I see the glass half full all the time. And I'm very, very grateful for all my blessings. One of my favorite stories, not a story, it's sort of one of my favorite things is, is learning from my dad. My dad uh, owned a supermarket. He owned a little supermarket up on the Upper West Side up near Columbia University called the Apple Tree Market. And my dad worked every day like nobody's business. And he was at the cash register and he really worked hard and he instilled in me a bunch of things but the things that really resonate with me the most is a strong work ethic real integrity always tell the truth and he taught me how to buy and negotiate right and my dad always says it's not what you sell it for everybody's always going to sell it for the same amount of money because there's only so much the market will bear but it's what you buy it for so these messages rang true and i started my company and i grew my company and now We are who we are today. Uh, And I attribute a lot of those skills that I learned, you know, Harvich Maravit. It was really my uneducated dad who taught me most of it. So fast forward, the pandemic hits. We're here on Fire Island, where we've hunkered down since March. And my younger daughter says, mom, do you think people are gonna need masks here on Fire Island? And I say, oh yeah, for sure. She says, mom, I wanna create a line of Fire Island logoed masks. (laughs) Love it. And I want to sit outside where the ferry comes and I want to sell them. So she designed a wagon on a red wagon, which is the Fire Island slogan, on a mask. And she took a risk and she ordered 500 of them with her own money. And she bought them for $3 and she sold them for $10. And she sold them all out within two weeks.
1: Amazing.
0: (laughs) Then she bought another round and sold out those but on days when all of her friends were playing at the beach and playing tennis and doing their thing she sat outside and she represented the passion and persistence and patience that my dad taught me and now i taught her so that's my story for the day and i hope we all take away from that something that is meaningful to
1: you I love that. I love that story. And, you know, my middle child Kira had met you once and she still talks about you. You know, the advice you gave her was the firm handshake. (laughs) And it's true, you know, that first meeting, again, we're not having as many in-person meetings now, I get it, but Um, that mean, that meaning of having the firm handshake comes with the confidence, the presence in the room, like it had so much more to it. And she still talks about it, Julie. So thank you. And I know you've got lots of lots of great stories. So then my last is any final thoughts? And how do people find you? How do they find Progressive Promotions?
0: Sure. So ProgressivePromotions.com You could look me up, Julie Levy, on LinkedIn, J-U-L-I-E, L-E-V-I, and call me anytime on my cell phone, 917-697-2205. I still love the phone call.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, Julie, thank you so much for your time. This was so fun. You know I adore you. We could do this for hours, but unfortunately, we only have 30 minutes, but thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Sue. Julie, thank you so much for being a guest this week. It's always fun. And really, thank you for sharing that story about your father. I know he was such an inspiration for you. To hear more stories and lessons from happy marketers, be sure to subscribe to the Happy Marketer Connection podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To learn more about community building, our Vesta solution delivers community-powered marketing to elevate your digital presence, deliver predictive insights, and transform your consumers into lasting brand advocates. And I welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Sue Freck or find us at Vesta-go.com. Thank you.